Welcome to Fable and the Verbivore. I'm Fable, Beth Stedman. And I'm the Verbivore, Laura Johnson. And this is a podcast for writers who read, readers who write, and, and everyone, everyone who, who loves, loves words. We are excited about today. <laughs> <laughs> Very <Last> week, excited. <laughs> yes. Last week, we talked a little bit about monster in the house stories, and we kind of, um, to kick off a little bit of a series that we're doing over the next couple of weeks. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about monsters, but today we are taking a little bit of an unconventional approach and talking about setting as a monster. So as writers, we often talk about viewing your setting as a character, but today we're talking about viewing your setting as a monster. And this comes into play particularly in Gothic novels, but also in, in other genres and things. Um, but yeah, how can we use setting to up that creepy factor to kind of play with our characters in kind of a not nice way and to create this um, a monster out of the setting itself? Absolutely. And what's funny is this conversation is kind of two years in the making. We talked about kind of having a conversation about kind of gothic atmospheric literature back two years ago when we did Mexican Gothic um, as a book club episode. And I'm excited by the feel of the genre because Mm -hmm. it's all about aesthetic. It's all about how the setting makes you feel uneasy. Yes. It's all about you pick up the book and you get to a specific piece of description and it makes like a shiver run down your spine. Mm-hmm. It makes you feel something. And that's that's what's so fun about Gothic is whether it's true Gothic horror or if it's mm-hmm. Gothic romance, it makes you feel that visceral kind of unsettling feeling associated with it and I think kind of looking at gothic has been around you know since really the 17 like end of the 1700s and it's still something that we see elements of them coming back into our stories yeah today that are you know on the bestsellers list so there's something there that we really on a very deep emotional level connect with yeah do you mind if I read a description from Go for Mexican it. Gothic real quick Sorry, it like, is such a great ex- I mean I feel like we talk about Mexican Gothic all the time but yeah. it is such a great example of this what I love about it is it actually takes a bunch of tropes and it yeah. revises them and it it almost recontextualizes something like your Jane Eyre um yes. it's takes the Byronic hero and turns it on its head and shows the toxic side of that. Um, But it also, it plays with the conventions while also knowing exactly what it's about. It knows exactly what the trope is and it leans in heavily to it while also having that conversation of what is this? What, What does this look like? What does this feel like? And is it you know, is it something that we want to prop up or is it something that we want to question? (laughs) What's funny is all throughout this, there's calling back directly to Jane Eyre and Wuthering Mm -hmm. Heights and candles, like the electricity doesn't work everywhere. There's 
all of these little things that kind of gave it a sense of an ease. Mm. And as she's first walking into the house, which is high place, which in itself is kind of a unique monster that is quite literally alive. And there are things that kind of happen that are they really happening? Are they something that she is imagining? Is the imagination of the place and those books that she keeps thinking about, is that playing into it? Or is it actually, is her reality and how she's experiencing it, is it really truly there? Frances took out a key and opened the heavy door. This is when she's first walking into High Place. Noemi walked into the entrance hall, which gave them an immediate view of a grand staircase of mahogany and oak with a round stained glass window on the second landing. The window threw shades of reds and blues and yellows upon a faded green carpet and two carvings of nymphs, one at the bottom of the stairs by the newel post, another by the window, stood as silent guardians of the house. By the entrance, there was a painting or mirror on a wall and its oval outline was visible against the wallpaper, like a lonesome fingerprint at the scene of a crime. I love, I mean, it's heavy handed in like the best way. Yes. (laughs) Because all of that, there's like being watched over, all of these colors, all these things, kind of falling into ruin there's cloudy the nymph silence the like fingerprint on the crime scene like it's such good word choice and imagery to promote the feeling that you that they want you know or absolutely um, to give you that like something's a little off yeah atmosphere and and even like the foreshadowing of what's going to potentially happen in the house like Mm. a crime looks like it's already been committed and what other things will happen it's also set apart from everything like it's it's way up in the mountains it's something that you get this feeling of desolation and falling into ruin which it mirrors the family that lives there it's Mm. it's like their past I mean, quite literally, they are tied to this house and members of the family cannot leave because they are tied to it in both a physical sense, familial sense, but also in a very visceral and psychological way. Yes. Yeah. I think something that makes stories um, where setting plays the part of a monster so powerful for us psychologically is that it is so relatable and like we've all had experiences where we're in some place that's kind of creepy or that we're like ooh, something's a little off here or or even just being like in a house at night with all the lights on and not being able to see out the windows where it's just black and like that creepy feeling of like someone could be watching me and I have have no idea yeah like like we might not all well we won't ever all um, (laughs) any of us encounter (laughs) vampires or werewolves but But we've been in a setting that felt like a monster or a setting that felt like it was turning against us. Um, And so when we read stories like this, it gives us that feeling again. And, and I think sometimes helps us kind of work through that feeling a little bit or um, see what's behind that or have a ending that's more happy or something to kind of uh, 
I don't know. It's, I think it's psychologically helpful maybe sometimes. Absolutely. Well, and I think sometimes even playing with setting to catch your audience looking like Mm. maybe even, so what's funny about Gothic is there's been some that kind of take and spin it and like Northanger Abbey. um, I actually just recently re-read and re-watched it and the natural kind of disquiet of the place makes the character think that something is happening that's not. Mm. And so she imagines that she's in this gothic novel of like all these terrible things that have happened. The mother has been killed. And the actual solution to the mystery, it's still a mystery, Mm. but it's not, it's more mundane. It's more that this guy wasn't emotionally like parasitic vampiric person but the the setting kind of leads you into making assumptions and it makes it really fun because if it was just that he's emotionally like vampiric person it wouldn't be as interesting so she kind of delights you with the setting playing into even as I'm reading it I'm like Oh, I, I would make some of those the same assumptions. Yeah. <laughs> some of them are ridiculous. But it kind of also it it delights you as you as it does that. And and then the solution is really reasonable and feels grounded in human emotion. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I guess it can like that makes me think that exciting can kind of almost play as your hook in a kind of normal yeah. story. I mean, that seems like what's happening there. Like you have a kind of normal story that you add this creepy setting too, and now you have an interesting story that's way different from what it could be. Have you read um, The House of Sand and Fog by Erin? I, think it's I read Lester. House of Salt and Sorrow. Yes, sorry, yes. <laughs> yes, um, yes. Sorry. That's another um, great example of setting as, as a monster and like that kind of atmospheric creepiness. <laughs> it, it has like that, the mixture of dark fairy tale yes. in with really kind of, paranormal romance I mean I don't think it's truly a gothic romance but yeah no I, I agree. think that setting is what kept me reading that book and what yeah. really what drew me in because the setting is so much a part of it like that house by the ocean and the feeling that it had and just the yeah. creep factor of things that you don't have an explanation for um, you know footprints on the carpet and I I think looking at it from the, you don't have to have like, it doesn't all have to be supernatural. Some of it yeah. can be, but sometimes just things that have no logical explanation mm-hmm. and that's just uncertain, feel atmospheric, feel very yeah. potent. And I think that's a lot of these yeah. places are just I mean, potent. <laughs> yes. I mean, Jane Eyre comes to mind also as one that like really? the solution it's not supernatural. It's not anything like that. Yeah. It's just creepy <laughs> in certain yeah. places where you just get this, like, Ooh, something is a little unexplainable or a little off here. It feels like she leans in heavy to that speculative yes. part in the prose, in the setup, in mm-hmm. how it's written, which makes it more fascinating than than if it didn't play into it, yeah. than if it didn't lean into, this feels almost like a ghost story. This feels yeah. like yes. there's a presence here 
that we we have no explanation for and since it's so grounded in her perspective which yes. a lot of these are so grounded in the perspective of the female protagonist who's in this space in this place that feels dangerous dark yeah. creepy even just secretive like there are things being kept sometimes quite yes. literally from her or that are outside her understanding of the world and yeah. how she's seen it and where she's been before we all have that feeling right of being thrust into yes. a place that we're like we don't understand the rules and how this works and yes. and it gives us that unique sense of unease and since we're in their viewpoint we have to sit with them awkwardly as they try to figure out what's going on yeah so it plays into both the atmosphere but also the mystery of yes what secrets are at play some of them do go a little speculative even Jane Eyre like sure by the end the connection is almost on this oddly supernatural speculative Mm -hmm. why can they hear each other um type of place so it kind of it does a great job of using that to its benefit to kind of prop up the story but also sometimes to pay it off in certain unique ways yeah and I think that's interesting to me that when I think of gothic as a genre I feel like it seems to be a genre that women are drawn to a little more than men and that that's maybe a stereotype or you know like there are definitely exceptions to that but I think on the norm that seems to be um common and I I wonder if that is because of this so often the protagonist is very powerless in their environment and is kind of kept in the dark. And, and I think that's a really familiar feeling, especially for women throughout yes. the ages and particularly in 1718, you know, hundreds yes. when these were um, being written. And it also, it's, I mean, we, if we talk about literature from a female perspective, it's some of the first that really continues to be read today. Um, are these, you know, Wuthering Heights, Jane Eyre, maybe Northanger Abbey, not as much, but still, it's very much grounded in that viewpoint, grounded in that perspective, written by a woman for women. And also, it it was written during a time that was very repressive, and things like death and sex even weren't talked about and so in some ways as a genre it's very rebellious because it actually brings things out from that and many gothic romances are you have it's a kind of journey through darkness for your Mm. lead heroine and at the end she comes out stronger she goes through all of these trials that make her into who she is yes as an adult And I think that kind of rite of passage that really gets the emotional turmoil, we'll be talking about Rebecca more, but I think one of the reasons Rebecca has never been out of print. Hmm. And I find that- I didn't realize that, that's fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. And and it's been adapted like three or four times. Hitchcock adapted it once Uh and then it was done for a TV movie. And then it was done again recently by Netflix. The protagonist doesn't even have a name, but her getting into her mindset and what she experiences through all these 
situations that she's thrust into, you are so grounded in her inner world. Mm -hmm. And Jane Eyre, to some extent, too, that we get the experiential side in a very close, directly told to us of how it felt Mm. perspective. And I think things like Twilight kind of carry on that, Mm. that it's very much in that perspective of the girl who's going through these things and even being seen. There's so many messages like within those different stories about being seen like Mm. someone seeing you and valuing you there's a lot going on in those journeys in addition to it being dark scary the you know ironic hero Mm -hmm. being dangerous and mysterious which definitely is a part of it but I think that journey and that growing of the character and then Mm that kind of getting to a place of self-assurance because in many Mm -hmm. of them they do at the end of Mm -hmm. Jane Eyre she can make whatever decision she wants she has money she's she can she has options and she makes the you know we can argue the secrets are out and open there's been light shined into the darkness absolutely and Mm -hmm. she can make whatever choice is right for her Mm -hmm. and you know whether we did think she makes the right choice I think we can debate that but (laughs) but she's she is self-sufficient and in a position of having all of the cards to be able to play she has agency which is what we all want but don't feel in those situations where we're in the dark or where things are hidden from us or when things are scary or creepy absolutely and if you look at Rebecca there's kind of a similar through line of that it's going from a place of not knowing really how to be in the situation to going to a place of kind of self-sufficiency and mm. self-awareness and embracing of yourself. Mm. And I, I think there's something there, especially as kind of that coming of age story yeah. that continues. I think we all have that feeling of not feeling like we know what to do or who we are or Mm -hmm. what we think and so it kind of feels like it plays out in that type of journey to to that person that we are underneath and acceptance Mm -hmm. and kind of embracing i think that's probably true in a lot of monster stories in general but yeah when setting is a monster it does seem like that is particularly true i think Noting that, you know, a lot of these that we've talked about are houses. Houses can be a character on their own. It is kind of sometimes even that cliche of the genre. I mean, even Charles Dickens in Great Expectations, you have Miss Havisham in her house, which is, it's so, even though it's not a gothic novel, it's so kind of connected to it is sort of the character in itself and yeah absolutely connected to this other character yeah it it is a reflection also of what her own kind of inner world is as well like it's it's that extension of you understand her better because you see her house and you see how the ways in which she's clinging to the past and i i do think in houses 
since families live there, since it's something that has that history and that past, often it's a reflection of what's come before, the like family that has come before, that legacy passed down. In uh, Crimson Peak, uh, the fairly recently done Guillermo del Toro, it's actually this house is literally like sinking into this clay red pit um it's a really heavy like visual metaphor but in a really literally the family has been sinking like financially so it's that and it's kind of the choices of the past the parents has started to wear away the very foundation of everything and then there's actual like ghosts that represent the sins of the past who are in the space. So you have physical representations of all the horrors that have happened and kind of have played out in the life, um, which is, it's fascinating from that. You're not just talking about abstract horrors, you're actually seeing them walk down the halls in very grotesque ways and kind of interacting with the present individuals as they go throughout the house yeah I think another place we see this and we and that we haven't really hit on yet is in like stories that are kind of nature versus man yeah um you know things like the uh the girl who loved Tom Gordon or like things like that or setting actually turns against the character and becomes dangerous itself is kind of another way that that setting can be a monster I think which I mean obviously the girl who loved Tom Gordon isn't a gothic but and gothic I think is really the best example of setting as monster but you also see this a lot in like kind of wilderness stories or stories that where the character is in a dangerous setting I I think a brooded kind of reflects that too where it is literally kind of turning it's interesting because it also creates the general sense of unease yes because it's not to a specific location within it like mm. in some ways you can kind of escape yes. a house and then once you've escaped it's done mm-hmm. and in those kind of general it's the the journey through that yeah place you can't just turn it off you can't just close the door like it you have to kind of work your way through that setting mm. to get to what whatever it is or to get past whatever it is I think so often when we're writing, we think about antagonists or villains or monsters as yeah. people. And, and it's really fascinating to me to think, to kind of flip that on its head and think about what could be a monster, a villain, a protagonist that's not a person. Or how could you layer what the antagonist that you already have with this like other antagonist of the setting itself? I think weather can sometimes really yes. play an interesting House of Sorrow, Sorrow does that a lot with weather too, like yeah. the rain and the mist and like mm-hmm. mist and fog and mm-hmm. rain and things that obscure like yes. and forests as well. Like anything that obscures and kind of secretes what's happening from sight that makes yeah. you feel closed in again, it, it does go back to that visceral part, but it's also, it's something that you can play with mm-hmm. and you can 
direct in ways that at particular moments, it can really highlight or have someone experience or reveal even, um, you can do the opposite rather than obscuring. And I think recognizing that it's like playing a, a tune, it's like, you know, orchestrating something you bring in things at different points in time to be able to reveal something or to be able to create a certain mood. And when we use that to great effect, not everywhere, when we employ weather at certain points, when we employ even sounds within an environment and even an innocuous sound where Mm -hmm. it's been silent, you can use like even in Jurassic Park, um, I think setting was used really well to create senses of unease. Yes, there are actual physical monsters, but Michael Crichton does a great job of like bringing in things that are both monster and not and making you feel unease. Like yeah, even you the have snap, the storm coming in and this like, yeah. The storm, a snap of a branch, mm-hmm. things that might have a perfectly reasonable There's also like a hoot that we know what it means, but someone else doesn't like using all of those different elements of that setting within kind of your paint box. Yes. (laughs) It layers your story. It gives your story these additional layers instead of it just being one straightforward story. You can kind of play. And I think in orchestra illustration is really good. I like that you used that. Because you're right, we can play with the setting itself, the sounds, the the visuals, the weather, and, and even our word choice. And like, I mean, going back to Mexican Gothic and the piece that you read, like she could have used lots of similes or word choices that she didn't use. And knowing exactly what you're doing with that. Um, there's a book I read recently and I can't remember the title of it. But as I was reading it, I, I kept thinking like something is off here and I can't figure out what it is. Like the story was really interesting and all of that, it was fantasy. And like the story itself was fairly, it took me a couple chapters to figure out what it was that was bugging me, but it was that the story itself was fairly dark. And yet her similes and word choices and metaphors were all kind of light and not, they didn't fit the story. And I think it's something to pay attention to because when, when those word choices really fit, I mean, I I just finished um, our cricket hearts uh, by Melissa Albert. And that I think is, perfect example of the opposite where like the similes and the word choices were so perfectly tuned into this creepy feeling that she wanted to promote that they set the right tone and I think especially as writers like we don't have the luxury of like you know I mean Hitchcock used visuals to create that and sounds to create that and we don't always have that we can use it to some extent but really like what it comes down to is our word choice and can our does our word choice promote and produce the kind of feeling that we want it to to feel the feeling that fits with this particular story. Within that, recognizing that there can be some play of the having something that feels discordant, but making sure it's purposeful. Like sometimes horror that takes place at in when it's light out can be really super effective because you have the feeling that like you should be safe. Yeah. But when you're when you're using language that almost undercuts, I think I tend to, so this is personal preference. (laughs) I tend to love atmospheric language. I tend to love words that give me 
a good sense of tone and what to expect. I don't even mind if it feels almost like, like I said, like sometimes it can almost feel heavy handed, but I, I love that. Like I love expressive, saturated language. If you are countering or bringing it back a little bit with your language, it kind of waters it down so that the flavors don't stand out as much. And just recognizing that, that that's when you use softened language, maybe for a reason, and you might, like there might be a reason because it's a romance and you want it to feel a certain way, but just recognizing that you need to employ it in a way that sets that tone, that promises something that then you'll pay off. Because if those things don't mesh, that can be very dissatisfying. Well, and that's a place to know um, what your genre is and what's expected in that genre and also what it is you want your story to be. Like if you're going for a story where setting is a monster, if you're trying for something with a little bit of a gothic feel, then yes, be heavy handed. Yes. Use all those dark word choices and dark similes and give us that creepy feeling and lean into it um, so it comes across and, and fits the story. Um, but if that's not what you're going for, that's not what you're going for. And that's good. fine too. Like you just, you need to know, you need to know what it is you're doing and why you're doing it. Well, and I, I think there is a balance there. I think reading yeah, sure. ones, especially that as you look at, you're like, oh, I like what they did with this one because it gave all the sense of f- creepy feeling without yes. me being promised a horror and sure. getting something else. Yeah. I I think, you know, as we had talked about um, the House of Salt and Sorrow, like it had a very horror feel, yes. but there were parts that it did let up and it paid yeah. off those horror things, but also the parts where it let up kind of gave you the expectation that you would have a certain type of ending. And she yeah. did it. Like she, she, <laughs> she did the type of ending that I was expecting and I was, pleased with it even though it leaned heavy into the horror yes at points that's true well we hope that after this conversation you have some new ideas and that you play with some different things that you might not have thought of before play with your weather play with your setting remember that setting can be a character and that character can be a monster so have fun with that and we can't see wait to read what you write with it Keep reading, keep writing, and keep putting your work out into the world. 